In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and begin with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach and live the faith, um, how to teach it to the people that we encounter, our families, our friends, um, people we meet on the streets, uh, people from other religions, or even atheists. It's really just taking the beauty of the truth and how to live those and teach those to the people that we encounter. Uh, your hosts are myself, Mickey Seba. I am the Seasons of Infancy and Initiation Specialist here at the Institute, and my co-host. I'm Deanna Johnston, the Director of Family Life at the Institute. And today in our episode, we are going to talk about the kerygma. So what is it? Why is it important? How understanding what the kerygma is can really transform the way that we teach and evangelize. And so we have a very special guest with us, Elizabeth Slayton. Um, so tell us uh, a little bit about who you are and why this topic of the kerygma is so important to you. Sure. Um, so like uh, Mickey said, my name is Elizabeth. I grew up um, here in East Texas, so I'm an East Texas native. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I got my undergraduate degree in history from Christendom College, really great Catholic college up in Virginia. And then I got my master's degree in theology, specifically leadership for the new evangelization at the Augustine Institute nice. in Denver, Colorado. Um, a little over two years ago, I moved back to the Diocese of Tyler to work um, at a parish in Longview, St. Mary's in Longview, and I am now the director of um, evangelization and catechesis, which is a really fancy way of saying the director of faith formation. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so that's been really good. I've been doing that for about two years, and um, I've learned a lot from my position. I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I think being in a parish and working has really helped me understand the kerygma and really appreciate it more. So it's kind of become this topic. I was first introduced to the kerygma when I was in grad school studying theology. Um, and then I think once I got into the parish, I started to have to actually implement these things and make sure I knew what I was talking about. So um, it's definitely been a topic I've been exploring more over the past two years. And it's just been a lot of fun for me. So I'm glad to be here to talk to you guys about it. We're so excited to have you. And I, it's always interesting for me to figure out like, or to hear what kind of drew you in, like what was it about um, catechesis and evangelization that made you want to sort of pursue that? Was there something that happened sort of in your life or something that was the trigger that you're just like, I really want to study this and I want to work for the church in, in the area of evangelization and catechesis? Um, so specifically like why I wanted to work for the church? Yeah. Um, so that's actually, oh, that's a good question. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, the desire first, I found the desire first sitting on my heart when I was in high school. Um, I had a youth minister in high school who, um, she just really impacted me in a very, you know, beautiful and positive way. And I always knew I wanted to be like her when I grew up, but I didn't want to be a youth minister. Um, so it was like this very distinct desire. I wanted to work for Christ in his church, but I didn't want to be a youth minister. Uh, so I didn't know what that was going to look like. So, um, when I got to college, I started to study, uh, I went to a Catholic college, so it was a very Catholic education. My major was history, my minor was philosophy, but I still had this desire to 
um, to work for the church, but I didn't know how, and I didn't know what that was going to look like. So I had this very deep, heavy intellectual um, education from Chris and M. And as I hit my senior year, this desire just kept getting stronger. Like I want to, I want to teach the faith. Like I love my faith. I want to teach it. But the the thing that always followed that was, but I don't know how. Um, and so I found the Augustine Institute. And the beautiful thing about the Augustine Institute is it's a master's degree in theology. Um, but it's a very practical degree. It's very much how you take this stuff and how you teach it, how you do things like RCIA and faith formation. Um, and so that's kind of where I saw my desire to be in a parish kind of um, come from, just just learning how you can take all of these beautiful, wonderful theological concepts and make them practical and apply them to people's lives. And I've just, I really enjoy being able to walk people through these things and help them take scripture, take the catechism, take the, the beautiful things of our faith and just make them very practical things that are part of their everyday life. And I have a lot of fun with that, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how I, and, and then I, um, I'm from the Diocese of Tyler. I'm from East Texas. So coming here was a really, coming home was a big deal for me. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, shout out to, to great youth ministers that plant those yeah. seeds <laughs> out there. Yes. The fact yes. that you came back to the Diocese of Tyler, it's a great gift for, for us. So thank you. It's been good to be back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you too, because I think in the church, especially those who have studied theology or have worked in the church or are catechists, we're very familiar with the words catechesis or evangelization. What was, um, what are some quotes or saints or people that you looked up to that really helped explain okay, what is catechesis, what is evangelization? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to lay the groundwork for talking about the what yeah, the charisma is. Definitely. Um, so Pope John Paul II had a huge influence. Uh, Pope John Paul II and Pope Paul VI. Um, uh, but uh, more so, I guess, JP II. Um, when I got to grad school and I started to study um, I, I realized that people kind of have an understanding of what catechesis is, this systematic passing on of the Catholic faith. Uh, we think of things like faith formation and RCIA classes, things like that, a very much systematic sacramental formation, things like that. Um, but what, what, I, what I found was is that people don't really understand evangelization and what evangelization is. And for a long time, I didn't know what that was. Um, <clears throat> so as I started to read a lot of Pope John Paul II, especially in grad school, I started to understand. And um, one of his documents, Catechesi Tridende, uh, which is an apostolic exhortation. In English, it's uh, catechesis on catechesis in our time. Um, He talks a lot about catechesis, but he also talks a lot about the importance of evangelization in catechesis. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's actually kind of beautiful because um, I often feel like there's this push in this church, in the church, to like know all the facts and know Mm -hmm. all the rules and know all the details. And we see this a lot today where we'll have Catholics who have received all their sacraments and they know all these rules and they know all the doctrines, but they've never actually met Jesus. And you're just kind of like, what? Um, So um, Pope John Paul II kind of helped me really see the importance of making sure that we're introducing people to Jesus in our catechesis. And the more I think about it, the more I wonder, like, what? I mean, catechesis is kind of pointless if it doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, because that's its point. Um, uh, Yeah, I don't know. Well, one of the things that um, I'm looking at my notes here because I was doing some research, and um, one of the things that 
I found, so there's a quote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, um, and I think it touches on the point. It says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and mm-hmm. our faith is in vain. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes when, and I noticed this too when I taught high schoolers, is that a lot of them came from like Catholic elementary schools, um, you know, received the sacraments of initiation. But when we talk about their prayer life, like, is there a time when you have encountered Christ? Do you know who Jesus is to you? Those were questions that they really couldn't answer. Mm-hmm. And, but they're like, but I know, I know these certain teachings. Mm-hmm. And they could recite mm-hmm. it like they're reading from a Catholic dictionary. But the idea that they didn't experience the risen Christ, right? right. That, that he is a person, that he is with them. And in their lives, it's almost as if all of the teaching that they received it it wasn't in a sense right. effective exactly yeah. exactly and i think we're seeing that a lot a lot of well-intentioned catechists and dres that are like provide all of these really great worksheets and things and they're very focused on well you got to memorize your 10 commandments mm-hmm. you got to memorize mm-hmm. this and that and the other and actually recently on a, a facebook moms group and this did not happen in our diocese but a mom was just expressing her frustration because her the dre had told her child um that over a, a course of a week um and it was a vacation week that they needed to fill out like 30 sheets of coloring things or just different activities but if they didn't finish the worksheets they weren't going to receive their sacrament Mm. and the mom is just very anxious and wondering like is this normal and I think that point that's a a really great example of um, the the wanting to impart the faith to our children or even to other adults but not letting it transform Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. yeah so I'm, I'm really excited about hearing more about the charisma. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, and just on what you see, I do think there are well-intentioned people because mm-hmm. the truths of the faith are beautiful. Yes. Absolutely. And we do Absolutely. see that there is a lot of people who misunderstand what the teachings are. Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely necessary to explain those and to clarify right. that. But I think, and I don't know if this is your experience, but in my experience, it seems that there is this imbalance between Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. catechizing people, but you're teaching them sort of a fuller, more extensive teachings of the faith, but that... But for some reason, it's not being connected to the person of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so that's why you can have um, catechized, but not sort of evangelized... Catholics out there. Yeah, and Pope John Paul II mentions this in Catechesi Tridende, so he talks about what catechesis is and how we see it, um, and he points out that we we need to kind of understand that as we're catechizing, a lot of the times we have people coming to us for catechesis, but they've never been evangelized. They've never heard the good news. They've never had an encounter with Jesus, um, and, and JP2 talks about how important it is to make sure that we're introducing those that we catechize to a person. It's a, the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And knowing knowing our faith, having things like the Ten Commandments memorized, knowing our prayers, those are very important because, you know, memorization can play a very important role in um, our faith life and in knowing Christ. But this is why I think the kerygma is so important because the kerygma gives us the context in which we have to see the rest of our faith. Um, And like you said, we have a lot of people who are catechized or they've received all of their sacraments, Mm -hmm. but they've they've never been evangelized. Um, They've never heard the good news, which is kind of an amazing thing to think about. But 
so as I got into parish life and I started to study the Kerygma and I, as I was kind of, I guess, putting these together that we have a lot of people who have made all their sacraments and they know a lot about the faith, but they don't know Jesus as putting these things together. Um, I guess I had to challenge myself and really ask myself, well, do I know the charisma? Do I know the good news? Could I give the basics of the gospel in five to 10 minutes to someone if they were passing me and I, I had that much time, you know? So um, that's actually been a lot of fun for me to kind of dive into this because I think um, as Catholics, we do have a hierarchy of truths um, in, in our faith and our doctrine and our teachings. Um, and I'm a cradle Catholic, so I've been in catechesis since even before I can remember, you know? And um, so I think this is, might be more so an experience for cradle Catholics, but we spend our whole lives just going through faith formation, you know? And we have all of this information about the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. and it kind of sits on this, like, level plane of you have the Eucharist, and then you have Our Lady of Guadalupe, and then you have our moral teaching, and it's all kind of like one, mm-hmm. it, it's all there. And, and we, we don't quite understand that there is a hierarchy of truth, and that there is a, um, there's a way of presenting it in a way that um, can, uh, one, help someone under the, understand the faith on a deeper level, but also introduce them to the person of Jesus. So just helping people understand, well, there is a hierarchy, you know, um, I don't know if that made sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely. So we've been using this word a lot, the kerygma. It's a fancy right? word. Um, yeah. So, and I know we've talked a lot about sort of evangelization and catechesis, but I do think that lays the groundwork. I think those are words that we are more familiar with. Mm-hmm. So I know you said one of the things was like, well, you know, you had this desire of like wanting to evangelize, but didn't know how to do that. From my understanding, the kerygma is where you start. Yes. Okay. But what is it? So can you explain a little bit about what it is, why it's important? Sure. Uh, The kerygma is a fancy word. It's a Greek word that literally means proclaim or proclamation or to proclaim. Um, And in ancient times, so I was a history major in college, so the history of things fascinates me. Um, in ancient times, uh, whenever a country was conquered, um, the new the new country that conquered would come in and they would proclaim a kerygma, um, basically announcing to the people, "Hi, you've been conquered. Congratulations, <laughs> we're here to save you." Kind of a thing. Um, and that's what the kerygma was. It was a proclamation, um, and that's where that, so that's where we get that word. Um, um, and it's kind of cool because you see this in St. Paul's writing. So at the time of Christ, I think the largest or the fastest growing cult at the time was the cult of Caesar. Um, and um, it was uh, people would proclaim Caesar is Lord. So in, in throughout Paul's letters, he, he proclaims that Jesus is Lord. And so he has this proclamation. So he takes something that was very... Um, uh, popular, very cultural at the time, you know, to walk around proclaiming that Caesar is Lord. He takes it and he shows them, no, Jesus is Lord, Christ is Lord. And um, it's kind of this, it kind of gives you this beautiful concept of like God has come in and conquered and now he is proclaiming salvation um, to the world. So that's that's what the word kerygma means. It literally means proclamation. Um, and today when we use it, we're talking about um, we're talking about the initial proclamation of the gospel or what is at the core of uh, the gospel and, and proclaiming that to people. 
So what is it? So I mean, what is it? <laughs> yeah. So like if someone's like, okay, so I understand that it's a proclamation. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, I think it was earlier you said that could I proclaim the gospel truth in five to seven minutes? Yeah. Is that possible? Like if someone I mean, is listening and they're like, mm, can, okay, hold on. Four gospels. Um, 2,000 years of history. Right. Four gospels. Um, tons of writings of St. Paul. Like can I actually do that in five to seven minutes? Yes, I would say yes, <laughs> um, because there are there are seven basic steps to the kerygma, um, and we can kind of talk about those in a second. There are seven basic steps, and um, you can you can do a lot with those steps. Go deeper in one area, emphasize one area, um, but I think maybe before we go into the steps, I kind of want to emphasize why the kerygma is important. Um, it's important because it's the context through which we should we should look at everything in our faith. Um, it's very easy, and I feel like we find this a lot in the modern world. It's very easy to look at the Catholic Church and say, "Oh, the Catholic Church has all these rules, and you got to do all these things, and uh, it's very strict and all, rigid, and all of these things." Um, but if if we take our faith out of the context of the kerygma, or if we forget that the reality is is that God is a loving Father, and that's why we have all these rules and teachings and all of these things, um, it it makes our faith rigid, basically, and it, that's no fun. Um, so okay, I, I was thinking about this, actually, on my drive over. I, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, yeah, I was talking to a class of fifth graders. We were talking about the sacrament of confession, and naturally, when you talk about the sacrament of confession, you're talking about sin and the Ten Commandments and all the things you can do and all the things you can't do. And you can see all these kids in the chairs like, I can't do this, I can't do that. <laughs> um, and I love fifth grade because they're kind of at that age where they're old enough to have like intellectual conversations, but they're still not too cool for you yet. That's good. <laughs> so um, I feel like fifth grade is a good age to plant seeds yes. of conversion. So. <laughs> I'm talking to these fifth graders and I'm asking them questions and we're talking about the rules of the church, all of the things that God tells us we can't do. And so I just started asking them questions about their family life. You know, um, do your parents have rules for you? Yes. Well, what are some of those rules? Well, we we can't be up late or I can't have my phone in my room. Like just this litany of things that they can't do and they're all like bitter about. Um, And so I asked them like, do you like those rules? No. And then I asked, well, why do your parents have these rules? And it was quite beautiful because one of the girls in the class, like she didn't skip a beat and immediately was like, because they love me. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so beautiful. That's why, and, and, and we, can, we can kind of take this image and we can apply it to God and who he is as a father. As a parent, you don't make rules for your kids because you're mean and malicious and you don't want them to have lives. No, you love them and you know what's best for them. Um, and you want to protect them. And God does the same for us. Um, and I think this is why I love the kerygma so much, because it helps us, it reminds us, and it helps us understand that God doesn't want to ruin our lives. As a matter of right. fact, he wants us to have the right. best possible life. Um, so I think it kind of presents, it gives us a context through which we should always look at our faith. But it's also very easy to forget uh, because I think, like, in the family dynamics, whenever you have a situation where there has to be discipline, as a mother, later on, you can follow it up with um, something more 
like if like if one of your children were to have a tantrum and things explode and there's got to be discipline in the moment, you know? What if? I mean, like, when? It, the question I'll is tell you a when. Stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you can follow that up right. later when the situation has calmed down. Mm-hmm. You can say, well, remember what happened earlier? Let's talk about it and have a, a very loving conversation about it. We don't often get that opportunity in the church, you mm-hmm. know? When mm-hmm. we break a rule, it's the rule is broken and now you're a bad person and da 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 da, da and all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's very easy to lose the context and we get caught up in the, well, to be a good Catholic, I have to do this and I have to check these boxes and I have to, you know, this litany of things that we right. have to do or have to believe. All of those things are important and they're part of the Christian life, um, but we can't forget why we do them. Right. Right. I, I mean, we all know Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But to actually reflect <laughs> on God is love and that everything that stems forth from from our faith it that that's the root is that god is love the grist well god loves us <laughs> that that's why we have that why do we have confession god is love and he wants to yeah and i, I just love that um putting it in the context of that parent-child relationship that's yeah that, hit, that hits home yeah and I, I one of the things that you said is that um you had talked about you love fifth graders because it's a great age where you can plant seeds of conversion. Is that sort of the, um, I guess, the purpose of the proclamation or the kerygma? Like, um, is it that conversion piece? Is it? Uh... It would be part of it. So okay. uh, the proclamation is, um, I think Pope John Paul II says it, um, it ignites the faith. Um, and, 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 um, so, so, we want to ignite that faith. You can know everything there is to know about the Catholic Church, but the, if that faith has not been ignited, it's just a whole bunch of rules mm-hmm. and, and things that we have to do. And it's it stops being a loving relationship and becomes a very strict, uh, I don't know, just that sounds kind of horrible to me. And <laughs> yeah, boring. Yeah. <laughs> boring. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. <laughs> and I, th- and I think the reason that I ask is because as you think about it, like sometimes when we think of like, okay, it's a proclamation, like I'm going to spend a moment and I'm going to proclaim something. And so after you proclaim, then it's like, I'm done. I'm, I'm finished proclaiming, so then moving mm. to the next step. Like mm-hmm. I do think it might be difficult for some people to um, hear this idea of, okay, the proclamation or the kerygma is the proclamation of the good news. And I, I'm not sure if, if people understand, and sometimes even in my own life, and I didn't realize this really until I started teaching high school kids, right, that that proclamation of the good news should permeate everything, everything right? Mm-hmm. It's not just like, okay, Jesus loves you because the Bible tells you yeah, so. You know, right. have them sing the song, but that it is something that, even as an adult, I have to re- be reminded of, right? That yeah. God loves me and all it's these ongoing. things are because, yeah. It's ongoing. And that's one thing, too, um, that I've just had to constantly remind myself. And every time I come back to the Kerygma, I really enjoyed preparing for this con- <laughs> this uh, podcast because I had to go back and reread all my notes and, like, wrestle with it again. The Kerygma is something that we have to wrestle with, um, because it, it can be difficult. You know, sometimes it's really hard to remember that God loves you. And it's hard to see that, you mm-hmm. know? So it's something that has to be ongoing. And it's not just like you hear the initial proclamation, faith is ignited, and then you're done. 
No, it's an ongoing process of catechesis. And as we learn more about our faith, we dive deeper into the kerygma and they, they go together. They really do. Catechesis and evangelization, um, they never stop but they, and they go, they go hand in hand. They really do. So, yeah. One of the uh, things that I was reading is, and I think too, and I don't know if this is just a misunderstanding on my part, but when I was doing some research and uh, talking about the kerygma, for some reason, just the idea of like Christ-centered catechesis is there a difference between like making sure your catechesis and what you're teaching always points back to christ um that it is god-centered and not just like role focused Mm -hmm. is there is there something different with christ-centered catechesis and kerygma or is it the same thing well they i think they would be the same thing okay yeah well one because one of the things i was reading and i don't remember which document it was in but i was talking about um Christocentricity, right? The idea mm-hmm. that Christ is the center of the teaching. And um, it wasn't actually a document about the kerygma, but I was like, I wonder if it's sort of the same, I think, sort of the same thing, but I do think it, it corresponds to the same idea, mm-hmm. right? That out of love, God sent his son to save us because mm-hmm. he loves us. And going back to that idea, like that. Um, it is because God loves us, our faith has to be Christ-centered because it is through Christ that all of these teachings flow, that salvation comes. Um, but I didn't, I guess for my own clarification, I didn't know if there was a difference in sort of using kerygma, that initial proclamation that Jesus is Lord, um, and then, or if it's part of the kerygma to interweave all of the catechesis that, that people get and be like, okay, but this is how it focuses on Christ and his teachings and go, always goes back to the person of Christ and not just a litany of mm-hmm. roles and doctrines and laws. Well, everything, uh, so I have, we, um, there, there are seven basic steps to the kerygma and it's actually kind of cool because everything that the Catholic Church teaches in some way fits into one of those steps. So one thing that I've tried to do, and I've, I've yet to master this, but I'm trying, is that any time I give a talk, regardless of what the topic is, I try to weave the kerygma into the topic mm-hmm. um, so that people are hearing the kerygma in anything I teach or in any time I speak or any time I'm uh, uh, catechizing or training or whatever it is that I'm doing. I always try to... Um, weave the kerygma in and it is actually really possible because um the the kerygma is just the initial proclamation and then catechesis takes us different deeper but um anything that we teach in catechesis can be tied to the kerygma okay so i think sometimes well no and i think um you know as someone because i think deanna and i were talking about this before that um i i mean i studied theology and because i wanted to be a youth minister and um (laughs) but it was because of a youth minister Uh um that i wanted to sort of study theology and work for the church but i had never heard the Mm -hmm. word kerygma in my studies um and it wasn't until i was i became a high school teacher that I was like, oh, what is this word? Right. You know, and I didn't know. And right. I do think because, um, you know, you said that you are a cradle Catholic, and so you have been in, like, catechetical classes, faith formation, for as long as you can remember, that I think even, too, it's hard to step out of, like, okay, this is just one concept that I'm learning. Okay, I have this concept. This is just another concept. So the idea that kerygma is a concept that I'm learning, it's yeah. a, a proclamation. And then, okay, so now there's mm-hmm. evangelization, mm-hmm. and then there's catechesis. And I think sometimes there's been a difficulty of like, okay, well, how do these work together? Like they're not just, it's not just 
on the list, like this is number one, number two, number three, but this is how they work together. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's y'all's experience. Um, that I mean, that would make sense because our faith is a relationship. Ultimately, that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. a relationship with Jesus Christ. The hard thing about relationships is they're not quantifiable. <laughs> you can't measure a re- relationship. Right. Um, but you can measure how much a person has memorized or what teachings you've talked about in class or the numbers of things, you know. Those things can be measured. So it's really easy to get caught up in the things that can be quantified and can be measured and forget that ultimately this is about a relationship. Um, I don't know if that kind of makes sense, but... No, I think it does, and I think that um, in the catechetical classroom right Mm -hmm. that there has been this idea that it sort of functions like a regular school classroom you have this material you take a test because you can quantify that for like Mm -hmm. a grade like the Mm -hmm. extent of um, what a kid knows or what a student knows but I did notice that in my high school kids that when I would ask them uh, questions about the teaching you know um, they could answer they could answer Mm -hmm. that but mm-hmm. if I ask a question like, who is Jesus to you? Mm. They're like, mm, and I'm like, I want you to write like a four paragraph reflection on that. And they're like, but I don't, like, how do I do that? But it wasn't until, because I think just for me, learning about Jesus helped me to know Jesus. And that's just how I, uh, and helped me fall in love with Jesus mm-hmm. and build that relationship. <laughs> But even when I was teaching, I just found out, okay, these kids are learning more and more about Jesus. Why is, but why are they not knowing who Jesus is more? Mm -hmm. And for me, it became a huge practice in like, okay, why are they not, in a sense, encountering the person of Jesus? Like, what do I need to do here? And maybe I was doing the kerygma the whole time, but I didn't know it because, (laughs) because I didn't know what the what that word meant uh-huh. or sort of right. what the, yeah. the process to that was. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about those, those, or just, I know we might be jumping ahead a little bit, but just to, to give people context, like what are, like what is, the, what are the steps yep. to okay. the kerygma? So there are like, seven, there are seven <laughs> basic steps. Um, I'll just list them off real quick and then we'll kind of dive deeper into those. So step one is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. Step two is that sin is real, and it's going to ruin that plan that God has for you. Um, three, but God in his love and his mercy sent Jesus to save you. He died for you. He died for your sins. Step four is that we are now invited to respond to what Christ did for us. We're called to repentance. Um, five is that we're called to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, six is that we're called to abide in Christ and in his body, the church. And then finally, we're also called to go make disciples. Um, so those are the kind of the seven basic steps of the kerygma. And then you can really dive more deeply into each of those. Um, and it actually is kind of cool because you you kind of hear in those seven steps where anything that we teach in the Catholic Church would fall in. Um, it kind of is a very gives you a big picture. It mm-hmm. gives you the why. gives you the why Absolutely. of everything that we know and love and believe as Catholics. Yeah. So, and I think, too, because um, this is how my brain works sometimes, that you listed off the seven, right? Do, do they go in, like, linear fashion? Like, okay, so if you are 
uh, trying to if someone's trying to be like, okay, so the kerygma are these sort of s- seven basic steps. Mm-hmm. Do they go in order, or is it just here are seven pieces to a puzzle that sometimes you might need to do this, or do they all connect to each other? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, it's easy to list them off. I found that it's easy to list them off at steps as steps because I can remember them as mm-hmm. steps, but they're not um, this rigid. They're not rigid, right? Because um, remember, it's about our relationships. So um, these are like the seven pieces that they've helped me to be able to take the basic proclamation of the gospel and wrestle with it and make it my own. But I had to start somewhere, right? So Mm -hmm. the seven steps were a good place for me to start and just really learning and understanding what the basic proclamation of our faith is, what the good news is, um, and, and really making it my own. So this is always a good place to start, but when you read other uh, proclamations of, of the Kerygma, like in Acts, right after uh, the descent of the Holy Spirit on the apostles, St. Peter immediately goes out and he gives his, uh, his proclamation. That's a version of the Kerygma. Well, when you read it, it doesn't systematically follow these seven steps. But it's just to help. It's as a, uh, a guide, I guess, mm-hmm. to help you um, really kind of know and understand what, what the basics are basically. Got it. Got it. Um, one of the things that I was reading was also from JP2. Um, it was his 1990 encyclical. Um, I'm a terrible at Latin. I'm just going to throw this out there. I try to practice, but it was a redemptress misio. Does that sound right? Say it with confidence, girl. <laughs> okay. But in section 44, um, it's kind of long, but I I would like to read it because I do think it touches on sort of what we've been talking about, and then we can just go from there. But it says, Proclamation is the permanent priority of mission. The church cannot elude Christ's explicit mandate nor deprive men and women of the good news about their being loved and saved by God. Evangelization will always contain as the foundation, center, and at the same time, the summit of its dynamism, a clear proclamation that in Christ Jesus, salvation is offered to all people as a gift of God's grace and mercy. All forms of missionary activity are directed to this proclamation, which reveals and gives access to the mystery hidden for ages made known in Christ the mystery which lies at the heart of the church's mission in life as the hinge on which all evangelization turns. So, you know, from my understanding, I think anyone that's listening, the idea that, okay, so this this good news is that God loves us so much he sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sin. And then, and I think that that, for me, like my high school kids, that was the hardest part for them to sort of grasp. And I think even sometimes for me that I am infinitely loved by God. Mm-hmm. And it is through Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's what makes Christianity different than any other religion is that our salvation comes from God becoming man, mm-hmm. right? And the person of Jesus. Um, and that that is the salvation that he offers mm-hmm. is himself. And mm-hmm. so entering into that relationship and um, I just thought it, I wanted to read it because I thought it was so beautiful. Um, you can't really perfect, <laughs> you know, it's St. John Paul, the second to words. Um, but that all evangelization hinges on that. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea that 
even though we're sort of using the fancy word of kerygma, but I do think the idea has been lost, mm-hmm. that it's become so systematic in teaching um, these litany, uh, th- this uh, list of teachings, but our kids don't know that they are loved. Right. right. Our yeah, kids- I mean, that's one of the kind of the, the tragic thing. I don't know if it's always been like this in the church, but definitely one of the tragic things of our time is that people genuinely don't believe that God loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, even Catholics, there are a lot of Catholics that don't believe that God loves them. So we have, but I, cause I've started also paying attention. Like when I, li- I, I, I listen a lot, I read a lot. So as people talk, as I listen to different things that go on, no one talks about it. No one talks about the fact that God loves you. And, and he does, he loves, he loves us tremendously. Um, but no one believes it, and it's, it's so mm-hmm. sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's true, and I think this is one of the reasons why, for me, learning the kerygma and really making it my own and trying to really incorporate it in everything that I do um, has been so important to me because um, uh, we're going through preparation for the sacrament of confession right now, and we had a parent meeting a couple weeks ago, and you know, parents show up to these meetings and they don't want to be there because it's just another meeting that they have yeah. to sit through. I mean, y'all know this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I get excited about meetings. Because <laughs> you're weird. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I do. I love I meetings. I do not get excited about meetings. Extrovert. No. Uh, send me an email. Um, but, like, it's important to know we go to confession because God loves you, mm-hmm. not because he wants to hear all your baggage right. or because he wants to embarrass you. No, it's because he loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, but very rarely I find our things framed in the context of God loves you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's a, it's a great reminder because like for me, working with marriage formation or working with engaged couples, this is such a great reminder that the kerygma should even be proclaimed or especially proclaimed when people are in formation for the sacrament of holy matrimony, because that's why they're getting married is <laughs> because God loves them. And even that, is it first John? Um, I'm Catholic, so I don't know my Bible verses um, <laughs> where it talks about God is love. And, mm-hmm. and because of that, we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it's all of this is a response to that love. You're not getting married in the church because, I mean, maybe <laughs> it's because grandma's paying for the wedding and your parents will get mad at you and disown you if you don't get married in the church. No, you're getting married in the church because you have experienced God's love in a very particular way. And you're now called to proclaim that love, to witness that love through your vocation as a married couple. And yeah, so this is this is such a great reminder that no matter whether we're working with little kids that are preparing for their first confession or first Eucharist or adults or even, you know, the anointing of the sick, all of this is because God is love. God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And I think you're absolutely right. This is something we've, we've lost as Catholics. And even that in that seventh step um, in the curriculum, like go and make disciples as Catholics, I think we, if you're, if you're not working for the church, it's like that's a Protestant thing to mm-hmm. go evangelize. Mm-hmm. And that's what like we, we are very heavy on the, the catechesis. Um, but to remember that, okay, God loves me so much. And just going through all of those steps, now I need to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And that response should be one that draws others to Christ right. as well. Right. 
Another important part of the kerygma that I always like to point out, because I always emphasize God's love for people. And everyone gets like, oh, well, you talk too much about God's love. Well, I talk about it a lot because <laughs> nobody be- talks about <laughs> right, it. Right, there you go. So, but the other important thing to understand is that we're also called to repentance. Yes. And this is a really big thing that I talk yeah. about as well because um, <laughs> our modern world does not have this concept of sin Mm-mm. or mm-hmm. shame or I have done something Mm-mm. wrong. And um, so this this un- this this understanding that I am called to repent is very foreign. People don't think Mm -hmm. they have to do it. Right. Um, But that's what we are called to do. Mm -hmm. Um, The Catechism describes repentance. uh, Paragraph 1431 describes repentance as a radical reorientation. And I've always loved Mm. that definition of repentance because it's not this passive, oh, yeah, I love God. I'm a good person. I'm okay. No, it's a it's a it's a radical reorientation. God loves me, and He's He's got a plan for me. Um, and but my sin will keep me from that plan. My mm-hmm. sin will keep me out of mm-hmm. heaven. Um, and I'm called to turn away from my sin. I'm called to repent, and and to really pursue that. So it's not oh God is love, and we don't have to worry about anything. Right. And it, no, God is love, and there's a very serious response that we're called to because he does love us and he wants what's best for us. Absolutely. I think too, um, even just uh, like I do, I love that too, a radical, I mean, they could have just said reorientation or turning towards God. That's a big deal. I know. Um, But, and I think that this may keep a lot of people away is that um, I'm willing to radically reorient. (laughs) <laughs> I messed this word up last time too. Um, reorient myself towards God um, if I know that He loves me, and mm. I, I think we see that in our own lives. Like mm-hmm. when we love somebody, what we do for them is insane. Right? Yes. I mean, right. and sometimes it's That's misdirected, right? But um, but when we when we love someone, it makes that. Uh, refocusing or turning our lives much easier. And then, um, and I think that at least in my experience of, of teaching high school kids is I think that because they doubted God's love mm-hmm. and they weren't convinced of it, that, well, you know, so if they're not convinced that he loves them and they're like, oh, how can I love him back? Like, I don't even know if he's right. there. That even the whole idea... Right of um, repentance, right? This turning away from sin and turning towards, not just saying, oh, I'm sorry I sinned, but like, no, I am so sorry that I'm going to change the way that I'm living and I'm going to start running towards this person out of love. And that for me, and I'm so glad that you talk about it, um, God's love, because at least in my experience, and this may not be everyone's, um, but, uh, but my teenagers, they just there was this deep sense of like, I'm, I've, I feel un, I'm not known. Mm. I'm not loved. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be known, right? And this is why social media is so huge. But even what they put out on social media is not really their authentic self, right? To be vulnerable and to, to say like, okay, here I am in everything. And I'm, I am sorry for what I've done, but I really do want to change. All of that um, is because of the love of the other. And um, I'm so glad that you talk about it because I think sometimes when we think about the idea of repentance, we're like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, my mm. bad. Yeah. yeah. But then it's like, okay, but it, 
you're called to radically change now the way that mm-hmm. you live, mm-hmm. right? And it, and that is so hard. It is. Oh yes. my goodness. Yes. I don't know why this story pops into <clears throat> my head, but when my husband and I were first married, I had gotten this. Um, he had worked at a plant nursery, and so they were doing a lot of sort of like experiments on like hybrid plants. So you couldn't find these everywhere. So there was this um, this plant. I don't even know. I don't even remember what it was called, but it was beautiful, and I loved it. And it was growing, and I was so happy because I'm like, I've never really grown anything. And um, and then he's like, Oh, we have to prune it. And I'm like, Okay, I guess that's fine. Well, I come home and there's like nothing left on it. I'm like, it's just sticks. Like, what, what happened? And I remember just like being scared. Like, he's like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. But I'm I'm looking at this plant. I'm like, you have cut everything off. It's it's probably dead. Um, I don't even think it can survive this because I didn't understand what what pruning was. I mean, I, I didn't know how to prune a plant. Um, but every time I think about what God is doing in my life, I think of the pruning, right? That there are times when when you are going to be called out of love, right? Um, that there are areas of your life that not just shaving off, right? But pruning, like there are areas of your life that you have to cut off mm-hmm. um, in order to make this repentance, right? To turn towards mm-hmm. God. And that's mm-hmm. so scary. And if you're not supported by love, then it makes that very right. difficult. Right. And that points do. back to how important it is that we communicate this, even from a young age, to our cradle Catholics, to our the folks going through RCIA, the reason you are doing this, the reason you're preparing for your first communion is because God's love is so intense and so real. And if we're only focused on rules and making sure that our kids know their Ten Commandments and can recite the Hail Mary, and there's no emphasis on um, that that God is love, God loves you, and He's calling you. He has a, He has a plan for your life. If we don't communicate that from the youngest age like all the way through adulthood then we're we're not evangelizing and we're not catechizing and they have to go hand in hand Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think too what's important to realize is that um because when we're talking about the charisma and that initial proclamation and talking about (coughs) repentance and conversion and becoming a disciple um it's about that response right responding to god's love but that but it's an encounter with a person. It's mm-hmm. an encounter with Jesus, who is truth. Mm-hmm. He is grace. He is love. Right. Um, and so, and I think sometimes, at least for me, this is why it can be difficult to sort of navigate um, how to teach the charisma. Um, because again, I think we're so used to like lesson plans yeah. and mm-hmm. checking off yeah. these mm-hmm. boxes that what we're doing when we proclaim the charisma is that we are. Um, providing an opportunity for people to encounter Jesus mm-hmm. in his love and his goodness and his truth. And so that has to be something that's part of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it should permeate everything. Like you can never have like the teachings without connecting it to, um, okay, it's because of Jesus that, mm-hmm. that this mm-hmm. is flowing. It either flows from him, it, it draws us closer to him. Um, because once we can do that, like I feel like, and this is in my own experience, and my conversion happened. Like I wanted to learn everything that I could um, about about Jesus and about His church, and I found the teachings that I used to struggle with. I'm like, this is so confusing. But once, sort of, if you want to say, like God had my heart, right? Or when I finally made that decision, like, okay, I really want to live my life for you. That those teachings, no, they 
super beautiful. So yeah. when I found confusing mm-hmm. before, like, yeah. ugh, you left a like, bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, but when I sent into the fact that, like, Jesus is the Lord, but not just that he loves all, but he loves me. Mm-hmm. Um, then the, the teachings and everything that flows through his bride, the church, I found beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And diving into that. so That's awesome. Yeah. God's love is powerful. Yes. <laughs> but Amen. but the idea that, and I think too, that, that some people come to this um, sort of grasping of God's love in different ways. Yes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so making sure that in everything that we're doing, it's like, okay, how are they going to encounter Christ in this teaching? Um, and I know for some people, uh, sometimes learning more about the faith has been the thing that like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, well, they can in a sense see God's love in that. So yes, instruction is important, and that may be something that triggers that sort right. of conversion or that repentance. Right. But at the same time, if we just pour so much into the catechesis that we're not actually asking ourselves, like, are these are the people that we're talking to are they having an opportunity to encounter the person of Jesus? So anyway, that's just my two cents. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Um, so what would you say for churches, um, or people who are like, okay, I like what you're saying about the kerygma, the sort of initial proclamation, um, for those of the people who are listening, what would you say would be like their next steps? So I know you said that there were the seven steps, Mm -hmm. um, maybe go, could you go through those again and then give a bit of advice for people like, okay. Yes, I, I need to do this more. Where do I start? How do I start? Or where can I find more resources to help me out with this? Yeah. So uh, the first place I would say to start is to learn it for yourself and to really wrestle with it. Um, and, and to wrestle like um, in the Old Testament, was it Jacob that wrestled with the angel? You know, to really wrestle with it. Um, because some of the things that God asks of us can be difficult, you know. Um, so kind of just to go through what the kerygma is again. Um, just really quickly, um, God loves you, right? He loves you, and he has an amazing plan for your life, okay? He wants you to spend eternity with him. That's that's a really big deal, okay? A little bit, yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so this is a really, really big deal. God loves you, and he's got an amazing plan for your life. I just find there to be so much hope there, you mm. know, because we very much live in a culture that, you know, tells us that, we're, we're nothing, you know, right. there's no plan right. for our life. There's no purpose, but there is a purpose. God has a purpose. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that we're fallen, broken humans and we sin and our sin will keep us out of heaven. That's what it will do. It will ruin that plan that God has for us. But in his love, in his mercy, God sent us his son, Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be united, so that we could, could have, um, so that we could have eternal life, so that plan, so that our sin doesn't ruin that plan that God has for us. But we're still called to repent, right? We're called to radically reorient our lives, to to cut out the things that keep us from God, mm-hmm. that keep us out of that relationship, whether it's a bad habit or a bad relationship or a particular sin that we're attached to or whatever it might be, we're called to to prune these things out of our lives in a very radical way. Um, we're called to be baptized and to receive the Holy Spirit, and we're called to participate in the life of the church, to abide in Christ and to abide in his body, the church, um, to participate in the sacraments. The sacraments are 
are the ways that God comes down to our level and um, encounters us. They're, they're beautiful moments of grace and love. And I don't think we often look at the sacraments that way because mm-hmm. uh, um, it's very easy to get caught in the motions, you know. Right. I just go to Mass and I just go to right. confession and I say these things. And there are experiences of love and grace and mercy. Um, beautiful moments where where God comes down to our level and talks to us in a language that we can understand. Um, and so we're called to um, abide in Christ and in his church through a prayer life. We're called, we're called to learn to pray and to have that daily prayer life. Just as any in any relationship that you have here on earth, whether it's with a spouse or a friend, a close relationship, you talk to that person frequently, right? Well, it's the same with God. He wants a relationship with you, so he wants you to talk to him. So learn to develop that prayer life. Um, and then Christian community is another way that we can abide in Christ and his church, to be involved in our parishes, to surround ourselves with people who are also trying to live the gospel message. Um, and then finally, we're called to take what we have freely been given and give it to others and to make disciples and to introduce other people to a relationship with God and to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's really what it's all about. And just taking that <clears throat> and making it your own. And um, you might be able to see where these things have played out in your life and where God has been working. And um, yeah, I just just make it your own because you got to learn about it. So am I allowed to recommend other podcasts on this podcast? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I probably should have asked that question before. Only that you should email that podcast and say, hey, you should check out this one. (laughs) No, absolutely. Because we're all on this this journey to... Same um, team. Yeah, we're on the same team. So, <laughs> so uh, there's a really great podcast called Every Knee Shall Bow. Highly recommend. Yes, one of my favorites. Awesome, awesome podcast. They have an episode, I believe it's called The Kerygma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you want to learn more about The Kerygma, they're going to say a lot of the things that I said, but way better than I said it. Because <laughs> um, uh, the two guys that are on this podcast, they just have way more experience and they're really eloquent they're really good at what they do um so if you want to know more about the kerygma i would go listen to that episode yeah um they talk a lot of it a little bit more in depth and will kind of give you an idea of a different way of presenting yeah. it that yeah. would be so every um, knee shall bow and that's from ascension presents or think, ascension yeah. press yeah. yeah we might be able to put that in the show notes yeah absolutely <laughs> it's really good um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that was helpful or not. Extremely no, absolutely. Good. And Extremely. I love because at the beginning we had talked about, can we really um, proclaim the good news in five to seven minutes? And that last part that you just did, I think it was actually under five minutes. Yeah. So that was beautiful. Yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I love that, that you make it very practical and that you emphasized know it yourself first study it yourself or you can't teach Mm -hmm. what you don't know Mm -hmm. so we have to be transformed Mm -hmm. by the kerygma before we can start proclaiming it yeah absolutely and one of the things too that i read i'm trying to find it here in my notes but if i can't find it that's fine um but oh it was also um part of that 1990 encyclical from uh, saint john paul ii um it talks about how Uh, In the complex reality of mission, initial proclamation has a central and irreplaceable role since it introduces man into the mystery of the love of God who invites him to enter into a personal relationship with himself um, in Christ. 
and opens the way to conversion. And one of the things that I wrote in my notes is like, this should happen in the family. Definitely. I mean, if you think about it, the the it is within the context of the family that children should be hearing yep. the kerygma, right? The yep. proclaiming of the good news. So yep. if you are a mom or a dad or a caretaker or a grandparent, um, let like study these seven steps, um, make it your own, proclaim these to your children because that initial proclamation should absolutely happen in the home. So, um, yeah, it was just beautiful. Amen. So as we close out, one of the things that we do in each episode is we have this section called Into the Chariot, and it's a time where we can just give, like, one practical bit of advice on um, something that's not too overwhelming that people can do that can take what we talked about and they can put it into practice. So I know you had one. Yes. Okay, so um, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1, 2, and 3 um, are a beautiful example of um, the proclamation of the kerygma. Paragraph one of the catechism has got to be like some of those, the most beautiful words I think that have ever been written. Um, God infinitely perfect and blessed in himself in a plan of sheer goodness, freely created man. At every time and in every place, God draws close to man. This is what he does. And, and, and this is why the kerygma is important. And this is, this is the context in which we should really know and understand and see our faith and it's a it's a beautiful thing that the catechism which is the primary teaching document document of our faith starts here it starts with the proclamation so um, I would challenge you to just take some time sit down it's the first three paragraphs it's not very long just read those pray through those um, that would be be a really really beautiful place to start if you don't have a catechism you should get a catechism. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> you can get it from basically any Catholic Anywhere. bookstore. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, you can also get it for free online on the Vatican website. Yes. So, yep. so um, paragraphs one, two, and three in the catechism. Awesome. And then my into the chariot would be to just read section 25 of Catechise Tridende. Um, sit with that, read that, because it does talk about the kerygma and the initial sort of proclamation. So sit with that for a while. Um, again, it's not super huge, so just section 25. And I want to add one. Sorry, I wasn't oh, going no, to. Go for it. No. <laughs> the seven steps to memorize those, and we'll, we can probably list those in the show notes. But just to to memorize the seven steps of the the kerygma. They right. they pr- they're a really great uh, context. So that anytime someone asks a question about the faith, um, I always have those seven steps in the back of my mind, and I it's kind of really it makes it a little bit easier and takes away a little bit of the anxiety when people ask questions well what do i say well proclaim the gospel you know the charisma so anyway yeah excellent well elizabeth i just want to thank you so much for coming (laughs) and sharing your wisdom and what you've learned and your work in the church Um, to close this out, I know Deanna is going to tell a little bit more about the podcast yeah. and the format of it. But you, you did such a phenomenal job. If people wanted to get in touch with you, Elizabeth, what's the best way for them to find you? Sure. Um, I'm a pretty stereotypical millennial and I'm all over <laughs> social media. So <laughs> that's normally the best place to find me. I'm on Facebook. On Facebook, I'm Elizabeth Slayton. I'm also on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram, but I'm Liz Slayton on Instagram because, okay. you know, I'm a millennial and I have to be confusing. So yeah. um, either of those platforms, I'm on there fairly regularly. Awesome. So if you have questions or if I can 
if I can help you out in any way, I'd love to. So very yeah. good. Very good. And we're excited just to continue with this podcast. And uh, we have plans to bring on more special guests and just address a lot of different topics um, from different perspectives. Um, as we said before, you'll get more episodes with uh, myself and Mickey. Um, you've got Dr. Trisenkos and our, our executive director and the bishop. Um, Father Braun, who's the director of youth formation, um, and Doug Berry. Um, but with all of these podcasts, you get all of these different perspectives, but the main goal is to help you to teach and to live the Catholic faith and to make it a very practical thing for whatever walk of life that you're in. So be sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram, YouTube. I think we're St. Philip Institute on pretty much every platform. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, visit our website, um, stphilipinstitute.org. And we also just want to hear from you. Uh, if there's questions about the Catholic faith or just following up on the charisma um, or other topics that you want us to tackle in a future episode, you can email us at podcast at stphilipinstitute.org. And thank you again, Elizabeth, yeah. so much for coming. Thank this you for having joy. me. This is fun. Yeah. Uh, and now we'll close with an apostolic blessing from the bishop. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.